The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. Stocks looking to wrap up a tough week as bond yields continue to rise and spook stock investors, creating an exodus from riskier assets. The shorted stocks, they strike back. Hedge funds once again on the defense as names like GameStop see a resurgence in their share prices. The Food and Drug Administration giving the green light for new storage requirements on Pfizer's vaccine. We talked to the head of one major hospital network on what that could mean for getting more treatments out to Americans. AT&T striking a deal to help ease the burden of its costly TV division and its big bet on entertainment and Facebook a step closer to facial recognition. We'll tell you about the ambitious endeavor the company is looking to tap into that technology for. It's Friday, February 26, 2021, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Happy Friday. I'm in Dominic Chewin for Brian Sullivan today, and here's how your money and the global markets are setting their final day of the trading week up for the week and the month. Futures right now indicating what we'll call a stable opening bell. The Dow Jones implied higher by just nine points, the S&P higher by about 10, and the Nasdaq trying to recover some up of an implied 35 points at the opening bell if these futures moves hold into regular cash equities trading. Now, it's been a tough week for the markets. Investors have been dumping riskier assets, especially the big tech names. The Dow, the only down less than half a percent at this point here amid a continued sector rotation into cyclical, economically sensitive names. The S&P is down nearly 2%, as you can see here, while the Nasdaq has fallen nearly 5.5%. That's just so far this week. Still, though, markets are looking to close out February on a positive note. The Dow up more than 4.5% with the S&P up about 3% during that time span. The Nasdaq, though, fighting to end in the green, up less than half a percent. So it'll all be critical today to see whether the month closes positive for the Nasdaq. Well, the big drops we've been seeing in the marketplace are stemming from that big jump in bond yields. The rate on the 10-year Treasury note briefly soared as high as 1.6% in yesterday's trading. Right now, you can see here, Backing off a bit, 1.47% for the benchmark, benchmark 10-year Treasury note yield. The 30-year T-bond, long bond, about 2.26%. Meanwhile, two-year note yields a hair below 15 basis points or 0.15%. That jump in the 10-year also put it above the S&P 500's dividend yield, meaning that equities have lost that fixed payment premium over bonds. So something to keep an eye on there. Also want to get a look at what some of the stocks at the center of the short squeeze plays are doing. Seeing wild gains in recent days here. You can see GameStop shares up in the pre-market, $115 and change the last trade there. But AMC Entertainment, BlackBerry, Cost, and Nokia, some of those other short squeeze type names that we've been seeing with relative volatility in the last couple of months here, all down and so far in the pre-market trade. Coming up, we're going to look at how hedge funds are turning to social media to protect themselves against this kind of price action to figure out where those meme and Internet-related stocks are going to try to trade next. 
Let's now go worldwide. The risk off trade in the United States here is bleeding over into Asia. Stocks there closing out the week with very heavy losses across the board. You can see there the Shanghai Composite over 2% declines. The Hang Seng in Hong Kong off 3.5%. The Nikkei in Japan off nearly 4%. Very much red in Asia. Now let's take a spin of that globe over to what's happening with Europe. We are in the red, but off of our worst levels of the day so far. You can see there the CAC in France is down by about one half a percent. Same similar kind of percentage declines for the German DAX and the FTSE 100 in the UK as well. The IBEX in Spain, the real standout there, by the way, showing some green. Now to the latest action in terms of vaccine rollout in the U.S. The FDA is giving the green light for how one treatment is stored. Bertha Coombs has more on that in your morning's other top headlines. Good Friday morning to you, Bertha. Good Friday, Dom, and this could be a real game changer. The agency is easing ultra-low temperature requirements for Pfizer's COVID vaccine. Treatment had previously been required to be stored at negative 112 to negative 76 degrees Fahrenheit. That posed challenges for distribution in places like rural areas or lower-income countries that don't have widespread ultra-cold storage capability. The FDA now says the vaccine can be stored at standard freezer temperatures for some time. AT&T, meantime, has struck a deal to spin off components of its TV unit into a new company. The company agreeing to sell a stake in its DirecTV, AT&T TV, and UVerse businesses to private equity firm TPG. The new company will be called DirecTV, jointly owned and run by the partnership. The transaction implies an enterprise value of $16.25 billion. And shares of DoorDash are deep in the red this morning after posting its first quarterly results since going public. Revenue of $970 million topped expectations, but the food delivery company reported a loss of $2.67 a share. DoorDash warning the outlook for the year remains highly uncertain, and some of the tailwinds experienced during the pandemic could ease as lockdowns are lifted. CEO Tony Hsu will have more on the results this morning in a first on CNBC interview at 8.40 Eastern. You know, Dom, there's going to be a shift, but I'm not sure that people are going to go back to doing everything the way they did. I mean, it's, it's very convenient to have your groceries delivered rather than having to take time to go to the store and go inside sometimes, especially if you've got young kids and don't want to deal with, you know, having to take them away from, from the candy and all the other things at the checkout. I, I, I would say this. I, I think that you're right. It'll take some time. But at the end of the day, we are a social kind of group of people, right? We do mm. want the interactions out there in public and things like that. So at some point you could see, Bertha, some of those trends come back into play. Bertha, thank you very much for that. Appreciate that. Back to the markets now as stocks look to poise to continue that selling that's been gripping markets all week long amid those rising interest rate fears. For more now, I'm joined by Victoria Green, founding partner and chief investment officer of G Squared Private Wealth. Victoria, has anything that's happened over the last week or so in terms of the sell-off changed your thinking about how to invest in this market? Well, certainly we're watching the yield curve. You know, yesterday was a, a fairly rude awakening, but especially with the five-year more and the flattening, you know, the steepening was was kind of in par with the economic recovery and the thought that, okay, the 10-year and the 30-year, especially the 30-year, need to go up uh, just because the economy is recovering. But I think what spooked yesterday was the flattening and the uh, five-year going up 20 bips. Uh, and that scared people a little bit. But I see that more as anxiety or bonsiety, perhaps, 
that the bond yields are going to go up a little bit. You know, we're advising our clients that they need to be watching their bond positions because this year might be a little more similar to, say, 2013, not quite temper taper tantrum. We're not calling another taper tantrum. But, you know, we need to make sure your bond positions don't bite you. So for the last few years, being long duration has certainly paid off, but we may see that where you need to understand your duration and maturity, feel comfortable with it, maybe look into a laddering strategy to offset, because the high likelihood that rates continue to truck on higher is, is there. All right, so the, so right, the, so the, the, the laddering the strategy is, is more this notion that you have to kind of go out and tier some of those maturities that you have out there, match some of those uh, possible liabilities or obligations that you have down the line. Victoria, I'm also kind of curious whether or not you feel as though the move that we've seen in the markets right now with rates is due to inflation fears. It doesn't seem as though that's the case. And many of our guests have said that this is not runaway inflation. In fact, we're just back to levels that we saw modestly before the pandemic. It's not runaway inflation. I think it's fears of future inflation, which is why it's so much about anxiety of the future, and also fears that the Fed may have to move faster. But actual inflation, yes, you're seeing it slightly in commodities with copper at a 10-year high, oil back uh, to reasonable prices. Uh, but you're not actually seeing inflation to the consumer all that much. Possibly in housing, it's certainly there. But a lot of the other sectors of the market, inflation remains muted. So it's not necessarily actual inflation. I think it's more anxiety over the future still. So, Victoria, if, if that's the case, then how exactly do we feel we should be investing in this marketplace right now? Are there certain places that you want to gravitate towards, stay away from? If there is a modest level of inflation down the line, not runaway, you would still want to be in some growth-oriented stocks, maybe just not technology. Right, and, and we are definitely value over growth right now, and you're seeing that play out. Even though the Dow got hit yesterday, it went down about half as much as the, the NASDAQ. So value stocks certainly, the cyclicals with the reopening play, we still like energy. Financials should get a boost. You know, the spread with spreads narrowing kind of hurt them yesterday. They were up on the day, and then in midday when the seven-year auction went terribly, you saw the, the financials pull back. But financials have a good opportunity in a, a period of rising rates. I think growth is something you have to understand. It's been leadership for so long, and this rotation of value might just give you better opportunities going forward. It might just be harder for the growth stocks to continue to outperform in this market. Now, where, what's the biggest risk you think out there right now? Where should you not be besides maybe from a risk-adjusted standpoint, cryptocurrency for certain types of investors? Yeah, I think right now you need to watch your thematic plays. I think they've been great. People have made a ton of money, but the holy trinity per se of the ARK funds, Bitcoin and Tesla is very, very volatile. So I would warn people that have made that core holdings in their portfolio. Those are more thematic satellite plays and, and it might bite you a little bit. You know, I'm not, we actually like Bitcoin. Uh, we think it's a good head. A highly correlated sector. Let's make sure we don't overweight it. And we're looking at quality stocks with good balance sheets. They're going to benefit from reopening. All right. Victoria All right. Green at G Squared, thank you very much for those thoughts. We appreciate it. Have a nice weekend. You too. Take care. Thanks. Now to Washington, D.C. and the developing story surrounding President Biden approving a U.S. airstrike on Iranian-backed militias in Syria. The international development coming as the president turns his attention to key domestic priorities today. NBC's Tracy Potts joins us now with a breakdown of all those headlines there. Good morning, Tracy. 
Hi, Dom. Good morning. As the president heads down to Texas today, the White House says he'll be packing up food and water for some of the families still suffering from storm damage there. He will have his eye on the Middle East, where the U.S. just took military action in the last 24 hours to eliminate a threat. Instead of uh, chasing COVID-19. In his first known show of military muscle, President Biden ordered airstrikes in Syria, targeting militants backed by Iran. We're confident in, uh, in the target that we went after. We know what we hit. It's payback for an attack in Iraq that killed a contractor and injured one of our troops. I think it was a good move. It's a signal back off if you want to reopen negotiations on a nuclear accord. The move comes as Biden heads to Houston today. To make sure the people of Texas uh, know we're thinking about them, we're fighting for them. Families are still suffering from winter storm damage with enormous electric bills and no water. As I go to the pool, fill up a bucket of water and do that you know, two or three times a day. While there, the president will visit a health center delivering COVID vaccines. After announcing the U.S. is halfway to his goal of 100 million shots in 100 days. The more people get vaccinated, the faster we're going to beat this pandemic. The administration now focusing on getting more shots to local pharmacies and underserved communities. Today, the House votes on a relief package that includes a $15 minimum wage. It's long overdue and it will be phased in. But the Senate parliamentarian has ruled the wage increase cannot be included. The minimum wage doesn't belong in there. Setting up a showdown to approve billions for families, small businesses and schools by mid-March. Now, the White House says the president's disappointed, but he'll respect the process, Dom, and that he will try to work with lawmakers to find some other way to get that minimum wage increase in. All right. International and domestic issues facing the administration. Thank you very much, Tracy. Have a nice weekend. When we come back on the show, capitalizing on the electric vehicle, the EV boom, Eunice Yoon lays out how China is looking to make big strides in that sector on President Biden's clean energy push, plus... Hackensack Meridian Health CEO Bob Garrett breaks down what the potential approval of the Johnson & Johnson COVID vaccine could mean for getting more Americans vaccinated. And your morning's stocks on the move, including Beyond Meat striking deals with two fast food giants. Got a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this break. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.
Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Let's take a look at some of these sectors and names you need to watch amid the market's continued turmoil. First of all, this is the iShares MSCI USA Momentum Factor ETF and the Minimum Volatility Factor ETFs. They're a mouthful, but the tickers are MTUM and USMV. The momentum ones geared towards those kind of momentum type names, some of the high growth ones, and then low volatility ones gravitate more towards maybe orient value oriented type stocks. But take a look on a year to date basis for the momentum side of things. Look at how far the decline has come just in the last couple of weeks or so. Meanwhile, minimum volatility hasn't performed all that badly, just not very well. But you can see there less volatility for that one. But momentum stocks really showing some steep declines there, echoing kind of what's been happening with the Nasdaq and elsewhere in the marketplace. One other place to watch. We spoke with Victoria Green last segment about this idea that inflation, is it driving things and the concerns in the marketplace right now? Well, in past parts of history in the market where inflation has been a concern, we've seen gold prices rise. Now, to this point, COMEX gold right now is down to 1762 in today's trade. Over the last year, it's up about 7%. But right now, we are now hovering right around eight-month lows for gold prices. So if you're watching inflation, maybe it's not runaway if gold prices keep falling the way that they are right now. Something to keep an eye on trend-wise in the markets as well. Now to the growing boom in electric vehicles, the EV market. As the Biden administration looks to continue to promote those cleaner cars, that could create new opportunities for Chinese electric automakers. Eunice Yoon joins us now with more on that story. Hello, Eunice. Thanks so much, Dom. Well, you know, China is actually the largest market for EVs. But today I was at a manufacturer that's already drawing up plans for the U.S. Hello, Eunice. Welcome to WM Motor. Freeman Shen is hopeful cars like this will one day be on American roads. With President Biden prioritizing new energy, Shen sees opportunities for all electric vehicle makers, including his Chinese startup, WM Motor. The largest car market, China, already in the EV, and um, America also going this direction. It's uh, really a game changer. Shen's company turns out tens of thousands of EVs at factories like this one here in China for China. The cars made here cost about $15,000 a piece. The Shanghai firm, which focuses on SUVs for middle-income Chinese, benefits from aggressive EV subsidies, part of Beijing's efforts to wean off of imported energy and outmaneuver the West's dominance in traditional engines. China has the best um, uh, supply base for the uh, smart electric vehicles. Uh, U.S. Um, and Europe had a much better supply base for the uh, combustion engine. When we moved to U.S., some of the experiences, it's uh, quite benefit to us. Even so, the former Detroit resident sees obstacles ahead. People will feel very worried about a brand from China. We're talking about data security. That's why you have the viewer. U.S. team. But one big reason for Shen's faith. American consumers, they're very open. We like American users. Hope they like us also. (laughs) Shen says that he and his team are already having detailed discussions and that the idea would be to have R&D, manufacturing, service, as well as distribution all in the U.S. for the U.S. rather than export from here. Dom? So, so, Eunice, I, I, I guess I'm kind of curious. You mentioned that China is the world's biggest EV market. So why is this company looking to come to the U.S. instead of using China for its opportunities? 
It seems like for right now, the iron is hot in China and there are more people buying those EVs there. Well, the company wants to be a global company. So he had told me that they want to be able able to sell in the U.S. They want to be able to sell in China. And in fact, they've been really excited that uh, they have a very advanced uh, manufacturing facility where they could actually have customized cars uh, that are sold um, once you place your order online here. And then, of course, the government um, is prioritizing EVs. In fact, next week, Beijing policymakers are supposed to be unveiling their next five-year plan. And in that plan, they're expected to say that one of the priorities is to have new energy vehicles, um, one in every five cars, a new energy vehicle by the year 2025. So um, obviously, there are a lot of subsidies and policies here as well um, that are meant, Dom, to really encourage the sale of EVs in this country. All right. Yunus Yun live in Beijing with the latest on the race between the U.S. and China in electric vehicles. Thank you very much. Have a nice weekend, Yunus. Still on deck for the show here. Those short squeeze stocks rearing their heads yet again. Our own Leslie Picker will break down how hedge funds are turning to social media to take on retail investors this time around. And February is Black History Month, and we are honoring some of our CNBC contributors. Here is CNBC contributor James McDonald discussing the importance of financial literacy and the racial wealth gap. I think financial literacy is the number one thing of importance in order to close the racial wealth gap in America. For me, reading about finance, reading about stories of financiers made a huge difference in empowering me to have the courage to pursue my own financial career. Get literate, understand finance, saving, investing, and planning, and you will help close the racial wealth gap, starting with yourself. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. The Reddit Rebellion, the so-called meme stocks taking traders on yet another wild ride. Washington Watch, a Senate official ruling a $15 minimum wage cannot be included in President Biden's $1.9 trillion COVID relief bill. And speaking of the coronavirus, FDA advisors are meeting today to consider approving Johnson & Johnson's one-shot vaccine. We'll talk to the CEO of one of the hospital systems responsible for administering the jab in this New York tri-state area. It's Friday, February 26th, 2021. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan on this Friday morning. And here's how your money and investments are looking halfway through the 5 a.m. Eastern time hour. Stock futures are stable. The Dow Jones right now pointing towards just a modest 20-point rise at the opening bell. The S&P 500 implied higher by 10 points, and the Nasdaq implied higher by roughly 12 to 13 points here. So again, modest gains, 
modest gains in the pre-market. But it's been a very tough week for stocks and the markets as investors dump riskier assets, especially some of those big technology names. The Dow only down less than a half a percent amid the rout, amid a continued sector rotation into more cyclically oriented or economically sensitive names. The S&P is down nearly 2 percent, while the Nasdaq has fallen about five and a half percent so far just this week alone. So watch again. Those trends play out in the market today. Still, though, markets are looking to close out February on a positive note. The Dow is up more than 4.5% with the S&P up about 3%. The Nasdaq, though, is fighting to end in positive territory for the month. It's only up about a half a percent right now, so today will be key. We also want to to look at some of those stocks at the center of recent short squeeze plays, seeing wild gains again in recent days. But right now, GameStop, which is at the center of it all, yes, is up another 7% here to $117 a share, roughly thereabouts. AMC Entertainment, though, BlackBerry, Koss, and Nokia are all down in the pre-market trade. They've been very volatile as of late. Now, the meme stock saga has hedge funds, again, looking over to social media sites for data to protect themselves against this Reddit crowd. Think of it as an arms race of sorts between retail traders and institutional ones. Our own Leslie Picker joins us now with that big story. And I got to say, Leslie here, I've been covering this for a long time. I remember the early days of Twitter when hedge funds were scraping cash tags to see what stocks were being talked about. (laughs) This doesn't seem that different. Yeah, you're right. It's not that different. It's not new, but it's being used in a new way. For hedge funds, there were some hard lessons learned the first time GameStop skyrocketed. As a result, fewer appear to have been caught on the wrong side of the trade this week. That's in part thanks to a tool that as we mentioned, certainly not new to the hedge fund industry, but recently it's being used in a new way. That tool is specialized data pulled through algorithms that scrape through social media sites to get a sense of what people are saying. Now, these types of data have historically been deployed for sourcing investment opportunities and doing due diligence on ones. Increasingly, they're being used for defense as a way of protecting portfolios. These uh, social media conversations, this attention that companies are getting has potential to be risk. It could be risk to the upside. It could be risk to the downside. Uh, but I think everyone is recognizing that it's something that they need to at least start to understand and at least start to take into account when they're making those investment decisions. ThinkNum, which sells scraped data to investors, found that an increase in mentions on social media was a leading indicator for the GameStop pop this week. ThinkNum's co-founder Justin Zen said he's seen a huge uptick in outreach from current and prospective clients looking for help defending their portfolios. Now, the one challenge, of course, is that not all content on the internet is clear-cut. For example, a tweet of ice cream is said to be at least partly responsible for the surge in GameStop this week. I would say it would take a very, very smart algorithm to pick up on that nuance, Dom. They can even pick up on images like ice cream cones, Leslie, for sure. But you mentioned firms like Thinknum that are sifting through some of these social feeds, some of these social media posts for their hedge fund clients. But aren't these algorithms, these algos, something that funds can build internally on their own, or do they need to have this kind of a data and access to it through kind of APIs, these different feeds as well? 
Absolutely, they can build it on their own. And that's actually something that Melvin Capital's Gabe Plotkin, uh, if you recall, Melvin was that hedge fund kind of at the center of the whole GameStop saga, seeing losses of 53% in the month of January, largely over some of its wrong way short bet positions. Uh, Gabe Plotkin, when he was testifying in front of Congress last week, he actually mentioned that they have now data scientists in-house that are sifting through the uh, various feeds on social media so that they don't have a repeat of what happened to the firm back in January with GameStop and some other names. Yeah, risk management is always evolving there for sure, Leslie Picker. Thank you very much for that story. We appreciate it. To the broader markets now and what we can now expect following another wild week for some of those stocks and overall for the markets. Joining me now is Jill Garvey, Huntington National Bank Senior Wealth Strategist. Also, Matthew Hornbach, Morgan Stanley Global Head of Macro Strategy. Thank you both for being here so much. Jill, I I guess we'll start with you. Has anything that you've seen with the volatility in some of these short squeeze stocks really changed the overall thesis for why investors should still be invested in the market right now? Good morning, Dom. It's great to see you. Well, first of all, we think that stocks will continue to have a great year. Since November 9th, when the Pfizer vaccine was announced, we've really seen buying all over in the equity markets. And I think what yesterday taught us is that the stock market doesn't go in a straight line. So we're utilizing that volatility as an opportunity to buy in. We've been positioning for a post-pandemic environment. So we really have been putting into small caps, mid caps, emerging markets, and we're still very favorable on the equity markets. Of course, we're watching fixed income. We've been short on the yield curve with high quality, and we're looking to move in as rates continue to move up. That's not all that unheard of. It's been the better part of a story for the last decade now, Jill. I mean, so Matthew, does that resonate with you as the macro environment right now still constructive enough to say that, hey, anytime there's a dip in the market, investors want to kind of jump back into some of those risk assets? Well, thanks for having me on, Dom. I I think the key here is how quickly this bond market sell-off continues, how quickly we find some stability in the bond market, and the composition of the bond markets move. As we saw just yesterday, the move became very unruly. And in fact, it was dominated by an increase in real interest rates, which of course is very pertinent to the equity market. So if we can find some stability in the bond market uh, for the rest of uh, today, uh, next week, then I do think uh, the equity, the broader equity complex will get back on track. Ma- Matthew, could I, could I follow up on that? Because we just showed a, a one-year chart of 10-year yields. And, and what it did show is that, yes, on a relative basis, the move higher in yields has been very rapid over the last couple of months now. But take a look at the first part of the chart. That was right before and during the pandemic. Yields plummeted even further than the yields are rising right now. How exactly should investors be worried about the interest rate environment, given the relative speed of the fall during the pandemic of rates and the rise that we're seeing as of the last couple of months? Well, well, Dom, I think the key here is the Federal Reserve. You know, naturally, the Federal Reserve was very active in the bond market in 2020 during the height of the pandemic. The Fed was injecting a tremendous amount of liquidity really to bring bring that liquidity back into the bond market. And what we saw yesterday really for the first time since March is we saw that liquidity environment in the bond market completely break down. That's why the Fed is still necessary to support economic activity through its injections of liquidity. And we have great confidence that the Fed will be back 
to, uh, to, to make sure that the bond market is operating uh, smoothly uh, and in support of its broader mandate. Jill, your, your clients have to be asking. I mean, you have a lot of wealth management clients. They have to be asking about whether or not this changes the calculus for why they should be invested. They've seen a 10, 11-year bull market right now. They've made a lot of money for people who have been invested in the marketplace right now. But you said that you're starting to pick places that you want to be. Is it really an environment right now where you feel as though you can still be invested, but then have it be a stock pickers type market? That's a great question, Dom. And we do work with a number of clients, specifically business owners in the Great Lakes regions, and they have all of these same concerns. And those concerns are driving them to revisit their exit strategy and their business succession plans. In fact, as the cost of borrowing goes up, and given the concerns in the market, they're looking to liquidate their positions in their businesses. As we know, there's a lot of M&A activity, there's a lot of cash on the sideline. So as that comes in, that cash comes in, yes, we're looking to position favorably in the market. We're looking at materials and industrials right now, and we still see opportunities in technology. Uh, Jill, I, I, I'm kind of curious. You mentioned that, that many of your clients are small business or medium-sized business owners but that they're looking for liquidity events right now. Is that a general theme that you're seeing right now, that, that some of your small business owners are looking to perhaps get out while the getting is good? They are because, again, there's a lot of cash for companies that have strong, healthy balance sheets. And we have a number of clients who are just that. And going through the pandemic has caused a lot of emotional response with our clients, and they're looking at making lifestyle changes. So given the fact of what I just said and the fact that we could have tax policy changes, that's another key driver, the fact that capital gains rates could almost double, again, a potential tax policy change that we see coming potentially after 2022 has business owners thinking, gee, maybe I should sell right now while I can lock in a capital gain rate at the federal level that may be 20%. We certainly saw a lot of activity with business sales, specifically at the end of last year. All right, Jill, that's a big risk there. Matthew, I'll give the last word to you. What's the biggest risk that you see in the market right place right now outside of perhaps tax policy here in the U.S.? Well, the, the, the biggest risk ultimately is that the Fed loses a control over the bond market and the yield rise that we saw yesterday was just a prelude to a greater move higher in interest rates. That to me is, is the biggest risk in the, in the market today. All right, Jill and Matthew, thank you both very much for your thoughts. We appreciate it. Have a nice weekend. You too. Now to some of this morning's big headlines. Bertha Coombs is back with some of those. Good morning again, Bertha. Hey, good morning, Dom. A couple of headlines to start on Boeing this morning, beginning with a story in the Wall Street Journal that says the company was planning to replace and strengthen engine covers on its 777 jets before recent failures. That, according to an internal FAA document. But changes to aircraft parts can take years of work, including testing and regulatory approvals. The other story on Boeing this morning, a Boeing 777 operated by a Russian airline was forced to make an emergency landing in Moscow today due to engine trouble. The plane was operating as a cargo service, no injuries reported, and it's not clear yet what type of engine was on that plane, whether it was another one of these Pratt & Whitney engines. In Washington news today, the nonpartisan Senate parliamentarian has 
Senate parliamentarian, she tried to say, has ruled a $15 per hour minimum wage cannot be included in President Biden's $1.9 trillion COVID relief package under the so-called budget reconciliation process, which allows Democrats in the Senate now to pass bills with a simple majority. So it is likely out of the bill. And a Facebook executive confirming the company is looking at including facial recognition technology in its upcoming smart glasses. But in a Q&A, the company's head of hardware said the technology would only be included if people want it. Facebook is teaming up uh, with Ray-Ban maker Luxottica on the glasses with plans to release the device sometime this year. I'm not really quite sure what civilians would do with facial recognition, Dom, but certainly it does raise questions if it's something that is used for law enforcement, where I would imagine there would be more of a use case. Absolutely. What's old is new again, though, by the way. I'm still old enough to remember, and I'm sure, Bertha, you are too, the Google Glass. Remember that back in the day as well? So keep an eye on that. Yeah, yeah, I do remember those. <laughs> Thank you very much, Bertha Coombs, for that. Coming up on the show, the morning's big stock movers, including Etsy, as shares continue to benefit from the stay-at-home play. Worldwide Exchange is back after this with Etsy shares up 6.5% pre-market. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. A number of stock movers again this morning. First up, you've got Salesforce. Shares of the software company sliding despite having released better than expected earnings for the fourth quarter. The stock reacting to the company's disappointing earnings guidance for the full year. Salesforce CEO Mark Benioff talked about the company's plans for growth on Mad Money with Jim Cramer just last night. We have this $50 billion dream, you know that. So we're going we're gonna to do more than $25 billion this year, but we want to more than double this company in a relatively short period of time. And it's these existing contracts that are allowing that to happen. It really creates the momentum of the revenue over time. All right, shares of Salesforce, you can see right now, down 2.5% in the pre-market trade. Now to shares of Etsy, the online retailer posting quarterly earnings that were much better than analysts expected, with revenue growth up 129%. The company also providing upbeat guidance for the current quarter, though shares of Etsy up 6.5% in the pre-market trade as a result. And don't miss Etsy CEO Josh Silverman in a first on CNBC interview it's 7.45 a.m. Eastern time, so watch that. It's coming up later on on Squawk Box this morning. And then lastly, take a look at shares of Airbnb, the company, the lodging company shares ticking up after the company's first quarterly report since going public. Airbnb also saying it anticipates that first quarter bookings will be up compared to 2020, but lower compared to 2019, so those shares up 1.5% in the pre-market trade. Well, coming up on the show, the FDA potentially set to give Johnson & Johnson's vaccine the green light for emergency use authorization, EUA. The CEO of Hackensack Meridian Health, Robert Garrett, explains what that will mean for vaccinating millions of Americans. And if you haven't already done so, subscribe to our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange daily here at 5 a.m., check us out on Apple or Spotify or other podcast apps. Worldwide Exchange podcast audio format. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. Today, a special FDA advisory committee meets to consider emergency use authorization or EUA for Johnson & Johnson's COVID-19 single dose vaccine. If approved, the company says it can roll out as many as 20 million doses, 20 million by the end of March, 
and 100 million doses by the end of June. That's a possible pandemic game changer. Joining me now in a Worldwide Exchange exclusive is Robert Garrett, CEO of Hackensack Meridian Health. This is New Jersey's largest health network, also operating the brand new mega vaccination site at the Meadowlands Racetrack in East Rutherford, New Jersey, currently vaccinating about 3,200 people a day. Robert, thank you very much for being here. First of all, can you update us on what the progress has been in vaccinating people in New Jersey and the greater New York metro area? Has it been relatively smoother now than the initial rollout of vaccines? Good morning, Dominic, and uh, thank you for, uh, for having me this morning. Uh, yeah, I, I would say the, uh, the overall rollout is uh, going well. There have been a couple of, uh, couple of uh, bumps. But overall in New Jersey, uh, we vaccinated over a million seven hundred thousand uh, people already. Just at Hackensack Meridian, between our mega site and our, our hospital uh, sites, we have uh, vaccinated about one hundred and fifty thousand uh, people. So, you know, I, I want to put it all in perspective, because if you think about it, just a few months ago, you know, there was no uh, certainty that we were going to even get a vaccine this year. I mean, at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, people were talking about years, not months until a vaccine would be available. So the fact that we vaccinated this many people in a relatively short period of time, I think we're at about 65 million across the nation. I saw yesterday President Biden celebrated 50 million Americans being vaccinated just since he took office. So, yes, there are some snags and, you know, and I know people are frustrated uh, because the uh, the demand is exceeding the supply. But I think it's getting a little bit better every day. And I'm still optimistic that we'll we'll be able to vaccinate uh, every American who wants one by the summer. The Johnson and Johnson vaccine candidate right now, the, the, the idea here is if it does get approved, it could be a massive, massive game changer. 20 million doses in just the next couple of months here, 100 million through the summer. Is this a situation where the vaccine supply coming that large is going to get that many more people vaccinated? Is the, is the system in place to administer all of those possibly hundreds of millions of vaccines? I believe the system is in place. It's uh, it's being you know upgraded each uh, each day, and I think you're right to term it a game changer. The Johnson and Johnson vaccine, if approved, and we're expecting it to be approved, uh, you know, over the next couple of days, um, if it's approved, it, it it's a one dose regimen, which really gives it a, a major advantage over the two dose regimens uh, there now. So we're hoping. We can, you know, we can get into communities maybe that uh, the other uh, vaccines have not been able to uh, to get into. Also, if you think about it, in the hospital sites, uh, a one dose regimen uh, could potentially vaccinate inpatients while while they're there, and then you wouldn't have to, you know, they wouldn't have to make an appointment to uh, to come back. So, uh, you know, this really could be a game changer. And the way I look at it, there's about 100 million doses that have been promised from Moderna by the summer, 100 million uh, doses from uh, Pfizer. And now 100 million from uh, J&J. I mean, that's a that's a, a great supply. So hopefully the systems, you know, are, are being put in place, uh, certainly at our hospitals, at our mega site. We're ready. Uh, the pharmacies are gearing up throughout the uh, throughout the nation. Some of the, um, the clinics, physicians offices. So, uh, you know, as I said, it's getting a little bit better each and every day. So with the Johnson and Johnson vaccine, one of the big benefits, I guess, besides the single shot, is the storage capacity as well. If you look from a bigger macro global perspective, is the idea here that you can have a one-shot vaccine that doesn't need to be held in ultra, ultra low temperatures better for the overall globe because you can go to places, underserved places, perhaps in Africa and Asia, that may not be able to have the infrastructure to get all those people vaccinated. That becomes a big deal as well, right? 
It's a huge deal. Uh, it's a, that's a great point. From a global perspective, uh, this vaccine really is a, a breakthrough because particularly in, in underserved countries and even underserved areas within the United States, um, it's been difficult to distribute uh, the ultra uh, cold vaccines. So uh, Johnson Johnson just having to be stored in, in uh, a normal refrigerator is a huge advantage in terms of access for particularly for poorer countries. I'm also I'm, I mean, I'm a lay person here, so I, I'm obviously not a medical professional. You're around them all the time here yourself, Robert. I, I've heard a lot of chatter just amongst my friends, my social circles, just kind of talking about the differences between, oh, I got the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine. Oh, I got the, the Moderna vaccine. Uh, Johnson Johnson's a new variable here as well. Is there any difference to them in terms of the efficacy? Is there any reason why people should be even talking about why, which vaccine they get? I, I don't believe so. I mean, they're so uh, they're they're all very very effective. I mean, we have to put this in perspective. So the the Pfizer vaccine and the Moderna vaccine are about ninety five percent effective. The J and J, the Johnson and Johnson vaccine, is a little bit less than that. But you know, the flu vaccine on a on a given year is about 50, 55% effective. I think last year's flu vaccine was 52% effective. So, you know, in, in relative terms, these are very highly effective uh, vaccines. And, you know, I don't think whether you get the, the Pfizer, the Moderna, the J&J, um, there's that much uh, difference. So I think people should be encouraged to, to get the vaccine for themselves, for their loved ones, for uh, for their colleagues at uh, at work, it's it's really really important. And whether you get one or the other, uh, you're gonna you're gonna be uh, you're gonna you're gonna get the immunity that you're looking for. All right, it's an important message there for sure. Robert Garrett, the CEO of Hackensack Meridian Health in New Jersey, one of the biggest tri-state area providers of health services. Thank you very much. We appreciate it, and good luck with your campaign, sir. Thank you, Dominic. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Let's take a look at futures on the way out the door here because we are seeing a slight tick lower. The Dow Jones implied lower by 30 points right now. Squawk Box is coming up next. Have a nice weekend. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, No one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.